one of the, and again, you never wish these accidents or these experiences on anyone. But the thing is, when you have an experience where you ex- you're exposed to that much sadness and frustration and anger, I think what it also does is it increases your capacity for joy and happiness. It's almost like emotions are on pendulums. And when you feel the extreme on either end, you have a capacity for the other end. And so just the most things that I had previously taken for granted, like walking, I will never forget the first time that I walked again in an artificial leg and the joy I felt at something so simple. And as awful as these these experiences are, I just wouldn't trade the other side of that experience. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again and welcome. Well, in today's show, we take a closer look at the theme of resilience and dealing with adversity. And we all make plans, it's our human nature, but every now and again, life takes an unexpected turn, turning our world upside down. And so when something potentially life-changing happens, how do we react? Do we approach the process of overcoming adversity as a learning opportunity, or do we allow it to throw us off our game? And adversity strikes all of us, whether it's challenges in the workplace, in our relationships, or with our physical and mental well-being. However, the responses differ from person to person. Many simply struggle to keep it all together, often affecting every area of their lives. However, there are those who always seem to find a way, managing to navigate their way around the roadblocks that would stop others in their tracks, rather than fighting against it, almost embracing the chaos of life and making the most of it. Which leads me to today's very special guest, and her achievements are astonishing. She's a three-time Paralympic medalist, five-time world record holder, and a world champion track and field athlete. Her story is powerful and inspiring, so much so, she was rewarded with an MBE in 2018 for her services to Paralympic sport before retiring earlier this year. But my guest does not like to keep still. She's a qualified biochemist. She's an actor, broadcaster, TED Talk speaker, business coach, catwalk model. Uh, She was a finalist on Celebrity MasterChef. Oh, and she also skated beautifully in ITV's Dancing on Ice, using a modified leg as a skating blade. And so it goes on. So look, we're just going to have to stop there because we're running out of time. Welcome to the show, Steph Reed. Oh, you've made me blush with that intro. <laughs> I enjoyed watching you blush, actually. <laughs> but uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it's always fun to look back and, and just see, oh, right, I did all of those things. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you did. Someone needs to remind you. Uh, how are you today? Uh, do you know what? I am great. I, I've actually just come off one of the most amazing Pilates classes I have ever taken. And um, it's quite fun when you train in a different... So much of my life, I was a power athlete. So you're mm. there and you're doing squats and you're doing power cleans. And then you walk into a class like Pilates, which a lot of it is just body weight. And you think, oh, I'm going to smash this. I'm going to be amazing. And you are on your knees <laughs> crying because it's so hard. And um, yeah, I just uh, really, really enjoyed it. 
I think a lot of us make that mistake when we walk into Pilates. <laughs> yes. And you, you were in the gym before that. Um, I saw you earlier trying Icarus, of all things. Yes. So I walked in and, you know, relatively standard gym equipment, except for this one piece of equipment I had never seen. And it almost looked like those things that astronauts sometimes yes. are sent in. So and you spin them and they you see how dizzy they get. But um, that's not the point of Icarus. The point of Icarus is actually to maintain control. And it's this different way of training your core and amazing. learning how to work those fine muscles. Um, amazing again. Good preparation for your Pilates class. It, that, do you know what? Actually. It was actually, yes. It did turn my core on very much. <laughs> So I think our listeners are already getting the sense. Um, you're one of life's forces of nature, Steph. Um, do you ever stop? Um, <laughs> um, yes, actually, I, I do. Um, I'm, I'm someone that very much loves to work hard and then play hard and rest hard. So I think probably a good way to ex describe me as someone of extremes. However, I, I, I do love, do you know, I just love challenges. And for me, challenges are fun and working hard is genuinely fun. And mm. so when you see me working hard, it's not, um, it's not a painful thing. It's not something I feel like I have to do. I just love it. You, you can work hard and enjoy yourself. I think, yes, 100%. Saying, isn't there? <laughs> They're not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Uh, so look, we've got a lot to discuss today. Um, your story is amazing. Um, and so let's see where the conversation takes us. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, the theme is resilience and uh, dealing with adversity. Um, your achievements speak for themselves, but maybe would you be so kind as to share your story with us today? Sure. Um, so I was, I mean, literally from the moment I can remember anything about my life, I just loved sport. Um, it was just that combination of well, challenging yourself and I love, I love the competition. I love that it just, you know, it brings out both the best and the worst in you, but sometimes you have to see the worst in order to, to get better. Mm. And I just, I just loved it. And my, I, I played everything in school. Um, well, as you can tell from my accent, I grew up in North America, so I played basketball and we played volleyball and swimming and cross country and tennis and when I was 13, I was introduced to rugby. And for me, that was it. An American playing rugby. <laughs> now, there's a the thing. Oh, I just loved it. There was just nothing better than, you know, running up and down that field, just covered in mud. <laughs> Other girls just, you know, literally trying to tackle you. Oh, it was just amazing. Um, and I decided that I wanted to be an international rugby superstar. Uh, that was my goal in life. And that was what I was working towards. And I had actually caught the eye of the national coach at 15. And I mean, it looked like this ridiculous dream actually had a chance at, at coming true. And then in an instant, everything changed. Um, I was at a friend's cottage for, uh, it was a bank holiday weekend and they had a beautiful cottage out by a lake and we were out tubing on their speedboat. And that's where you have a, a rubber inner tube attached to the back of a speedboat and you go flying across the water. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were doing that and I'd hit a wave and, and fallen off. And so I was in the water and I was waiting to get picked back up again by the boat, like had happened every other time that weekend. But unfortunately, this time, 
there had been a miscommunication between the spotter and the driver. And the driver had no idea that I was in the water. Mm. And just by coincidence, he started heading towards me. And I knew instantly something's wrong. Uh, He doesn't see me. He is coming way too fast. And you you try not to panic. And, you know, I assess the situation. I was a decent swimmer and I thought, right, I don't have enough time to swim um, to either side. I'll still get caught in the toe, but my best bet is I will surface dive. I'll get as far below the water as I can. I'll wait for the boat. I will wait for the propellers, you know, to pass over top of me. This is going to be fine. So that's what I tried to do. I just forgot I had a life jacket on and, Mm. and I couldn't get under. And at that point it was too late. And at that point there was just, there was nothing you could do except hope for the best. Goodness me. Um, not sure what to say next. How did you, what, what happened next? Um, obviously your life was saved and, um, but this must've been so traumatic, not just for you, but for your family and loved ones. Uh, yes. And actually I'm so glad you said that cause that's what everybody forgets. Yes. This impacted me, but it impacts, it impacted everyone on the boat. I mean, those are my, my friends on the boat. It impacts the family. Um, when I surfaced from the water again, I mean, I knew how lucky I had been. Um, but I also knew something was, was wrong. And unfortunately the propellers did catch me. They caught me across my, my lower back and, and my right leg. And I mean, we all knew how serious this was. I mean, it was just, we were miles away from a half decent hospital. There was way too much blood. Um, and it really was a miracle that I survived. I didn't have any spinal damage, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. I had no permanent internal injuries. So obviously that was definitely something to celebrate and be really thankful for. But there was just, I mean, there's nothing that my mom walked into my recovery room and there's nothing that can prepare you for someone telling you that your foot has been amputated. Um, unfortunately, there was nothing they could do to, to save it. And my immediate thought in that moment was, but how am I going to play sport hmm. if I can't run? And my fear was that I didn't. I did not want to sit on the sidelines for the rest of my life, watching everybody else fulfill their dreams around me. And that was a really hard part to, to wrap your head around. You had these amazing plans. Um, and suddenly through no fault of your own, it is all gone and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And, and that was a clincher for me because I had believed my whole life. If you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. Um, you think you have a degree of control over what's going to happen. And now I was in this situation. There was absolutely nothing I could do to get that foot back. It was gone. Um, that wasn't going to change. So the only option was for me to change. And I wasn't such a fan of that option. <laughs> no. and, and how long was that period of convalescence and rehabilitation um, 
to the point where you were able to resume some degree of normality and see beyond we can talk about uh, shortly but that period there how long did that take um i guess i mean there's so many different ways in which you heal and and your body heals and i think immediately the most important thing was just finding a way to wrap your mind around it um and I mean, people see me now and they think, oh, yes, you know, you're really happy and you've dealt with it really well. Uh, it must have been really easy. And it wasn't. Um, there was a period after the accident where, to be honest, I didn't really know if I wanted to experience life as an amputee. Mm. Um, I I didn't know anything about disability. I didn't know what my, my life was going to look like. And... I just, I didn't want to see visitors. I wasn't eating. I didn't want to do anything. Um, I had just lost any sort of motivation or drive or spark. And that is a scary and dangerous place to be. And it was actually through the help of um, seven days after the initial accident, um, nurse Claudette, uh, she was one of the nurses on the ward. She walked in and and she had breakfast. And as per usual, you know, I wasn't eating. I just said, I don't feel like eating today. And I kind of just closed my eyes, hoping she'd get the hint and just leave um, because I just wanted to wallow. And when I kind of opened up my eyes again to see if she was gone, she was still, you know, she was right there and she was looking at me and she said, very gently but very firmly Stephanie it is time it is time to move on others have done it and you can too goodness yes that was my reaction I mean I was kind of one I was shocked and two I thought I feel like she's judging my pity party which I have earned (laughs) (laughs) Um, but at the same time she got my attention because she was the first person in those seven days who had walked into that room and actually expected something better from me than moping. And that felt really good. And she sounds amazing. She was amazing. That is a woman, a nurse who has probably seen every variety of patient and she read that situation perfectly. And she knew I just needed a bit of a challenge. So come on, what would you like to say to Nurse Claudette? Oh, do you know what? I've searched for her. Have you? And I cannot find her. And um, I think, sometimes I think back to that moment and I, maybe in time, I would have achieved that. But I am so thankful because she was a person that helped me find that spark and that drive and that, do you know what, this this sucks. This is not what I want. I am not excited about life going forward, but whatever it holds, I am going to make the best of it that I can. I'm still going to fight and we're going to see where we end up. And I am so thankful to her for helping me find just that, that spark and that attitude and that motivation again. Well, let's hope someone can find her and she can hear your thanks. Um, but but how amazing that a moment like that can set you off on that path 
and the path you've been on ever since. I, I think, you know, researching you, you've said there were only really two choices, and I think it stems from your story about Nurse Claudette, be miserable for the rest of my life or decide to make the most of it and have an adventure. Mm. And it, it stems from that, doesn't it? It really does. I think... Um... So often, you know, we're under the illusion that we have more control over our life um, than than we do. <laughs> we're kidding ourselves, aren't we? we? We really are, and and it is that ability to yes, I am I am all about planning. Um, I will always have a plan A. But I think what that taught me, what that experience, and just the things that I've done in the rest of my life hold plan A loosely because <laughs> one, it might not work out and you're going to have to go to plan B. But the other thing is actually something better might come along. And if you are so focused on plan A that you're not looking around, um, you're going to miss it. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I I would definitely describe myself as an opportunist. And, you know, some people think of that as a negative term, but not at all. Sometimes life is too wonderful and mysterious. You just kind of have to let it work out the way that it's going to and accept that, you know, maybe um, you don't always know the best way and happy accidents can um, yes. be life changing. You've reminded me talking about your planning and wish to plan and control, which we all have to some degree. It was that famous philosopher, Mike Tyson, <laughs> who said everyone has a plan until they get a punch in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and so, yes, it is embracing the, the chaos and the opportunities that arise that you, you might not think were there before. I think it's also an element of, of trusting yourself, trusting yourself that you will react well to whatever is thrown at you. And, and I genuinely think that every single person is often, sometimes I'll, I'll share my story and people will, will confess that, oh, I don't think if I had been in that situation, I could have done that as well. And I think, yes, you would have. You mm. will step up to whatever faces you. That is just our nature. Well, that's, um, that's an interesting point you, you raised there, Steph, because you were forced to learn a lot about yourself at an early age. The rest of us, maybe, or, or many of us, don't have to think about who we are. We, we're just happily plodding along and growing up and gradually learning a little bit more about who we are. You were forced to learn about your character and maybe forced to, to your nurse Claudette point, shape your character and make a choice very early. So what did you learn about yourself? What have you learned about yourself? Hmm. I think it's, I look back now and I, and I think about the accident and, and honestly, the overwhelming emotion and memory, and this is going to sound bizarre, is actually just joy and thankfulness. And and that is, I still, I remember everything um, from the accident to the rehab, to the pain and the anger and the frustration. And I do not mean to mischaracterize that period or that time as joyful because it wasn't. It was so so hard and it stretched me to my limits but I look back at it and the reason I say I think about the joy and the thankfulness is because of what I learned and as you say was forced to learn it wasn't a lesson I would have chosen by mm. any means but it just at such a young age to have to be so clear about what matters in life you know I learned that very quickly to go from 
a young 15-year-old girl whose biggest concern was, you know, I don't know, report cards and frizzy hair and, and spots. And it seems so mundane. And then this happens and you realize, wow, what a privilege it is to worry about stuff like that when the alternative is worrying about health concerns and whether or not um, my colon functions. And it just puts so many things in perspective, as you say, at such a young age. And, and actually that was an incredible gift. And the other thing that I realize as well is one of the, and again, you never wish these accidents or these experiences on anyone. But the thing is, when you have an experience where you ex- you're exposed to that much sadness and frustration and anger, I think what it also does is it increases your capacity for joy and happiness. It's almost like mm. emotions are on pendulums. And when you feel the extreme on either end, you mm. have a capacity for the other end. And so just the most things that I had previously taken for granted, like walking, I will never forget the first time that I walked again in an artificial leg and the joy I felt at something so simple. And as awful as these, as these experiences are, I just wouldn't trade the other side of that experience. Your um, pendulum analogy, um, just thinking about that, because it swung, to use it and continue this theme, if it swung so far one way, it therefore swings so much further to the positive, joyful side as well. Is that, is that what you're saying, that you're experiencing deeper joy because you experience such deep pain as well? That Yeah, I think so. That was my experience. I think it just, um, like I say, it's a capacity thing. And and the hard thing is it opens your capacity on both ends. And mm. I definitely noticed after the accident, I felt everything so much deeper. Um, and I think it was just that, yeah, that widening of, of scope and perspective and emotions and and also just being never in my life had I been in a position where I was so dependent on other people and it was uncomfortable. And, you know, my parents purposely set about, um, I have a sister as well and a brother, but specifically with the two, their two girls, they wanted to raise two independent, educated females who didn't need to rely on, on anyone for anything. Um, and, and yeah, I found myself in this position where, you know, I needed help for everything initially and, and it was hard but I think what I also realized is that you can't, you can't do this journey alone. <laughs> mm. um, you need other people. Um, you need people like Nurse Claudette, whose who spark and encouragement you can borrow when you don't have any. And so it was just, again, learning these different, the beauty of humanity and other people and how they will come to your aid mm. when you need it. You don't have to be an island. There's no gold medals for being an island. No. And, and again, you've, you've learned these life lessons at such a young age. And in fact, experiencing the pain that you experienced, did a, an inner strength emerge and in that nothing could be so bad? Does it give you a confidence in it in a strange way as you go forward? I think it does. I think um, people often ask, you know, what is what is the secret to to confidence or, you know, to my confidence or confidence in general? And I don't think it is. It's not something you're born with. It's not you can't you can't will yourself to be confident. It actually is just a product of experience, Mm. because the more experience you have, the more times you say yes to something you regardless of the outcome of the situation, 
two things happen. One, you learn, oh, actually, I can deal with this. Or you learn, um, oh, actually, I couldn't deal with that, but I didn't die. And I know how to deal with this next time. Yes. And so um, those those things just keep on building up until you, it's not that you think you're, you're perfect or immune to anything. You just always know I can deal with this. And even if this means I've made a mistake, I can go back and fix it and I move on. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody likes to put themselves in those situations because it's uncomfortable and it's uncertain. And so sometimes we have to be forced into them and sometimes life naturally forces us into it. And um, But I think the big secret is for those people who not only take you know the natural things that come from life, but are willing to submit themselves and say yes to those opportunities and just think, you know what? I don't know how this is going to turn out, but let's just give it a try. Well, so putting all of that together, including your, your now newfound mental strength and resilience and overcoming adversity and being the sporty person that you were, you were very well equipped for your then career as a Paralympian. And um, <laughs> it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It was 18 years as a Paralympian. We said at the top of the show just what you've achieved in that stellar career. Um, did you, coming back to plans, did you plan for that success? Um, you must have built a team around you. Tell us about your career. So I, um, one of my biggest um after losing my leg, I, I knew I wanted to go back to sport. I didn't know in what capacity, but I wanted to get there. And um, actually, eight months after the accident, I I was out on the rugby field again. And, um, you know, I had this vision of this glorious return I was going to have, and it was going to be amazing. I was a scrum half and, um, you know, loved oh, goodness. Uh, controlling the game. I loved scoring and that sort of thing. The reality was very different. Um, I, it was very painful to run. Uh, when you lose your foot, you're now running on skin and bones that weren't designed to take that kind of pressure. Literally two minutes in, I was, I was purposely running on the other side of the field because I knew my coach could see me limping and she was going to drag me off. So I stayed over there as long as I could, so I could, um, realistically have not hurt her, but it was just, it was too, I was in too much pain and it was so frustrating and um, that's when, you know, reality kind of mm. crept in uh, as it does. And again, it was that process of letting go of that dream. And perhaps my future was not going to be in sport. And it was disappointing, but I thought, okay, fine. Um, I can sit here and be miserable or I can find a different way. And so I thought, well, this, this you know, drive to uh, train and, and compete, um, what else can I, can I invest it in? Uh, one of those things was school. I'd always loved school, um, academia. And so the time that I used to spend doing sports, I then invested into um, my my academics and ended up getting a full academic scholarship to study biochemistry. As um, one does. <laughs> and, um, you know, there were other ways to compete. Um, I, I joined the uh, the chess club and the um, the trivia team and and the drama club. I was very cool in high school, as you can tell. And um, again, it was just, you have to find a different way. And, and to be honest, I was really happy and that was great. Uh, I wanted to be a surgeon and I went off to university and um, I found a new life and I was loving it. And then about 
just a few months in, I actually got my first running blade. And I just kind of thought, oh, I wonder how fast I can still run. Which back then was relatively new technology, I would have thought. It was. They had kind of, they'd been around for a few years. It was just that you didn't really get amputees that that ran. Mm. It just wasn't really a thing. Mm. A lot of people didn't really know either about them or how to set them up properly. Um, But I got my hands on one and... um, I just thought, let's just see how fast I can run. And and so I went to the university athletic session and um, just kind of ran with them. I mean, I was nowhere near their standard. Um, it had been a few years. I was very, I was unfit and I didn't really know how to, how to run with this blade. But the coach was great. He said, look, I don't know anything about blades, but I can teach you about sprinting. And if you show up every day to the sessions and you work hard, I won't cut you from the team, even if you don't make the travel standard, which I was nowhere near at that time. Mm. And that's kind of how it started. And finally, by my fourth year, um, I made the able-bodied travel standard and was invited to my first international meet. And that was re- that was in 2006. And that was the first time I just kind of like looked around and thought, could this really be Goodness. an opportunity or career path? And I'm too curious not to pursue it. So you were competing against able-bodied athletes with the times that you were achieving? In university, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was finishing, you know, probably top, top third. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, not not winning, but um, doing better than most would have expected. Mm -hmm. You enjoyed that? Do you know what? I did. It was just getting back to that... um, it was fun when you would show up and people would kind of do a double take and it was kind of like, oh, that's so sweet. Look at look at her going and competing. And I would think, yeah, but I'm here to win. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it was just fun surprising people and um, just kind of flipping it on, on, on the head. And, and it was great doing that as well because it was an education. It was an educational experience for, for everybody. And, and I never took offense to that because I know... Um, you know, I I didn't know anything about the world of disability until I became an amputee. Mm. And so um, for a lot of my career, one of the things I've always, you know, I want to keep doing is is just keep educating about the world of disability because I know what it's like to be able-bodied and not really think about it because you don't have to. And so I feel like with that experience of, of spending half my life with one, you know, one foot in each camp, um, it can actually be, be quite quite helpful. And, and I suppose your career blossomed in parallel with the growth of Paralympic sport. Um, it is now very much a part of our calendar of sport. Uh, in fact, the Commonwealth Games this summer, I think, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, was the first integrated games with, with able-bodied and Paralympic games happening at the same time as opposed to separate games. Is that right? It, um, it wasn't the first time, but um, it was the widest, it was the biggest program that we've ever experienced in terms of that level of, of integration. Um, you're right. I could not have timed my para-athletics yes. career better. <laughs> my goodness. I started in 2006 and um, many people will describe London 2012 really as you know the birthplace of the Paralympic movement where it stole the show and captured the world's attention. I rem- you're reminding me of a brilliant advertising campaign, The Real Superheroes or, or something like that. Do you remember that? I on, do, on yes. Four. Yeah. Um, very powerful. 
it was, um, yeah, it was just, it was great because they flipped it on their head. I think until that point, you never would have used words like strong or athletic to describe somebody with a disability. Mm. And instead, Channel 4 came at it from the angle of, well, check out the superhumans, and they're going to do some pretty cool things. And and even my, my absolute favorite piece of advertising from them was what normally happens is the Olympics take place, there is a two-week gap because they need to restock the athlete village and they need to rebrand everything with the Paralympics. And then the Paralympic athletes come in and it takes place. So in that two-week block, Channel 4 put billboards all around London saying, thanks for the warm-up, guys. <laughs> you know, as in get ready for the real show. And and it was just perfect. I'm getting see. goosebumps <laughs> as you're saying that, remembering it all. Oh, it was amazing. But again, like that was one of the most powerful and uh, global examples you will see of how to reframe a situation. In many ways, I always felt like the Paralympics was kind of like, you know, the ugly stepsister, mm-hmm. whereas this time it was center stage. And uh, the stadium was full, completely sold out. Yeah, it was. The stadium was full and it was the way the crowd, people, um, one of the biggest questions we got asked after the games was, was it really scary walking into a stadium with 80,000 people mm. cheering for you? Mm. And most Paralympians had never seen anything like that. I mean, we are used to competing at, you know, tiny meets with, you know, like our parents and I don't know, maybe one or two dogs uh, at the finish line. And to the point where actually the British coaches were genuinely concerned about this and they didn't want it to affect performances. So they, they came up with this plan to actually send their para-athletes to football games in the summer. They just wanted them to stand on the pitch and just experience what it was like looking around at a stadium just to get the feel of what it's like but in front of an audience. Foresight to think of that. It was very clever. I actually, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get the chance to do one of those days, but it was very, very clever on their part. But my experience of walking into the stadium, it wasn't, oh my goodness, look at this pressure. I need to win. It was actually like this. I call it oh well, an adrenaline hug boost, and so it was almost like people were there to support you, mm. and it just. I mean, I, I PB'd in every event I did, and oh, I, I loved it. I was going it. to ask, did you feel that gave you that extra push? Oh, it totally did. It is such an advantage, too, because when you are, you have a lineup, and, you know, the 12 finalists are introduced, and, you know, you've got, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, and then it, they introduce you and the crowd goes wild. It sends a message to all of your competitors, <laughs> and just a little bit, they, you know, it makes them think, okay, right, I'm going for second now. And you just stand up as a British athlete, a little bit taller, and you kind of mm. own the space a bit more. Um, crowds, environments, um, your emotions, it makes a huge difference when you compete. Something the rest of us, are, us mere mortals, will never experience. Oh, you describe know, I, that beautifully. I genuinely wish everybody in the world could experience what it's like to have 80,000 people cheer for you as you do what... You were born to do. Okay, Steph, don't rub it in. I know. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's magical, which is why I find it so funny when people will say stuff like, oh, but, you know, when you're growing up or at university, did you feel, you know, were you sad that you're missing out on, mm. on nights out and that sort of thing? I just think I never felt like I was missing out because 
I know what it was like to compete. And it was so fun that I would choose that every day Amazing. over, um, you know, a party or, or doing anything else. I never felt like I was sacrificing everything, anything. And, and this is a question that um, I guess a lot of professional athletes get asked. Those that were fortunate enough to be at the top of their game and, and play or compete in front of 80,000 people, as you've just described. How is that adjustment, Steph? You know, you're retired now and we'll come to all of that because you haven't stopped or slowed down. <laughs> but um, how do you adjust? Did, did you, did you, were you aware of that and could you feel it? I was, so I, I had kind of a funny career and I started quite late. Um, I was in my early 20s really when I started. So in some ways it was quite fortunate because I had that very normal experience of going through high school and university. And then I got into athletics and I, I was 37 when I retired. So that is, that, that's pretty late. And um, I was, I did consider retiring after, to, or after Rio in 2016. But my genuine concern, as you say, was this is so fun. Mm. What if I never find anything else as fun as this? And I was terrified I was going to end my career and always be looking back on that as a pinnacle of my life. Whereas I always wanted to live thinking it's it's still to come. Mm. Because otherwise it's almost like you've just kind of, I don't know, maybe given up isn't the right word. But I just, I always want to believe the best is still coming. Um, so I did Tokyo. Tokyo was amazing. And then um, I, I did, um, I was asked to do Dancing on Ice. And I hadn't made a decision as to whether or not I wanted to retire after Tokyo. I was kind of holding it off. And, and then I, Dancing on Ice was just this, well, for those that don't know what it is, it is a British reality show where legends, um, skating legends, Torval and Dean, mm. they, they t well, you're taught how to dance and then you skate with your partner and you compete every, every week and someone goes home. And it was just a brand new experience for me. I mean, I'm not a performer in the sense of I'm not a dancer. I'm not an actress. I, I don't even know how to skate. And Hold on. Let's pause oh. it there, <laughs> Because I've seen clips from the show. Are you telling me you'd never skated on ice before? Um, so I had, I grew up in Toronto. And so I, I, it was really funny because when the producers asked me, can you skate? I'm like, yeah, I can totally skate. <laughs> Thinking, yes, I can get from end to end mm. standing up. And then they saw me and they were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> she can't skate. <laughs> but um, so obviously my definition of skating in theirs was very different. But um, I also hadn't skated with an artificial leg. Mm. and um, I also had not anticipated how hard that would be in a sport where proprioception and fine balance and motor control of your feet and ankles is really important, and, and I only had one. Um, it was the hardest thing I have ever had to do, but the thing was doing that and just being exposed to this whole whole new world of, of this whole new challenge of performance, I just realized there are other fun things out there in the world. There's a whole, my, my life as an athlete has been so focused and in this, you know, elite athlete, world-class performance bubble, which I loved, but 
you are missing out on so many other aspects of life. I say missing out. I made choices. I wasn't missing out. But I realized life is not going to end with sport. There will always be a different challenge. And um, no matter what I'm doing, I can find a way to, to challenge myself, even things like park run. I started doing a park run. And for me, that um, I know, okay, no, I'm not in an Olympic stadium. There aren't 8,000 people cheering for me, but it is still an opportunity for me to set a goal and chase mm-hmm. it. And, and I know what I'm going for. And, and there is a little bit of um, maybe a growing up is the right word in that you are setting your own goal and you're now cheering for yourself. <laughs> you don't have a coach to do that. You don't have an audience. But in some ways, it actually requires a lot more um, character and determination and and resilience so life is very different but it's yeah it's a whole new adventure and i'm having a lot of fun with it you are i can see you haven't stopped smiling throughout this whole podcast I <laughs> and I think it says everything about your attitude to life um you just embrace it and and um i urge our listeners to watch steph uh, on the dancing on ice clips you can find on online because if you're saying you barely skated or you can get from A to B, it's it's a very graceful performance that you put in. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, I still I, skate. I absolutely, it was, <laughs> do you know what? I think um, it is the hardest thing I've ever come across for me personally. And, and also it was just what an indulgent and treat as a novice to have four months of world-class coaching. And I'm mm. someone who very much appreciates high level coaching and um yeah i just i, I still skate um yes in front of torval and dean of course but for those of us <laughs> old enough to remember them that what a privilege an honor that must have been oh uh, they actually choreographed one of the dances for us um, i actually did a spin lift with christopher dean i'm just gonna put it out there and it was just amazing <laughs> But um, yeah, still skating. Um, you may even see me competing as uh, an adult skater, which actually is my goal at one point. Because um, they have, um, yeah, it's amazing. You you can compete as an adult novice. And um, at some point I'll put together, I think it's a minute and a half routine. But yeah, do you know what? There is always another challenge in life. Um, well, actually, well said, because that brings me to another question that I want to ask you. I mean, you, you, we've moved on from, from your Paralympic career to, to being an ice skater extraordinaire catwalk model can we talk about that please? <laughs> gosh so that actually it's funny talking about how um you know life just moves on in, in very strange ways that happened in the summer of 2015 which actually started in april as one of the most devastating times um I had an awful injury uh, i was in a gym and um squatting and and i slipped a disc and yeah, from your expression, it is discs are just the worst thing. It's the worst injury for an athlete, for a long jumper. And again, for a long jumper with one leg, who's because you have two different inputs to your back, you have a real leg and a blade. Your back is always taking a huge toll because it has two completely different inputs. So this was a devastating injury where nobody actually knew one, if I would be able to come back from it. Um, but two, how long it would take. It could take six months. It could take three years. You, you break a bone, eight weeks. You mess with your back. You just don't know. So the summer actually started awfully. Um, I was just, you know, devastated, really. Um, and 
at some point I just decided, look, um, yeah, very much the same process as when I lost my leg. You can sit here and be miserable. Here we go again. Yeah. Or, Stephanie, you have not had a free summer in how long? Because normally we're competing. And so I just thought, well, right, what can I do this summer? And it actually ended up being the summer that just launched my career outside of athletics. So first thing I did was uh, BBC had this amazing, it's called the Kickoff Sports Reporter uh, Internship. So you got this eight week, um, you had to apply for it and interview and it was very competitive. You applied for it. I applied for it and I made it through and it was this brilliant eight week boot camp on on how to be a, a broadcaster or journalist. That was amazing. Um, while I was doing that, I also auditioned at the BBC to be a weather girl, which was hilarious. Did you? <laughs> Are there any outtakes from that? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think possibly somewhere online. There um, definitely are. Oh, it was just, it was so fun. But I just had the summer to do all sorts of crazy and amazing things. And one of them was doing the London Fashion Week catwalk. Again, which I never would have had time for, but I thought, why not? But it was actually really nerve-wracking because what we did was... I was going to be walking on a very high stiletto heel on one leg and they actually, um, a very, very talented lady called Sophie, she, along with my prosthetist, Richard Naveen, they transformed one of my running blades into basically a high heel as well. And the idea was a that- stiletto. A stiletto, yes. And so the idea was that we were actually going to make the artificial leg part of the outfit. And, and Lenny Boya designed the outfit and, um, which was all great, except that I actually had to, one, not just walk in it. It is already very difficult. If, if you ever watch somebody in a sprint blade walking in it, most people look at it and just think, does their prosthetist even know what they're doing? They're not even, they can barely walk. But the point is, it, it's to run and not to walk in. Mm. So I was trying to walk down a runway in high heels in a leg that's not designed to walk in. But you can't just walk it. You know, you have to walk it with sass and attitude and i was terrified the whole time yes that i was gonna fall um but it it was great the other um the other women on the rock on the walkway i think they watched me the first time i thought oh um we need to help this poor girl out and so they gave me a lesson and uh by the time the show came around that night um yeah we nailed it i didn't fall over and 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 it was awesome but again it was just a reminder look life may not turn out as you envision it uh, and yes, take some time to be sad, you know, get that out of your system, but then look up and think, well, right, fine. What can I still do now? And I just think, my goodness, if that summer hadn't happened, um, I would be in a very different position right now because it just laid the foundation for so many other things. What's the expression? You're turning lemons into lemonade. Yes, so very much that, that. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. And did you channel your inner diva? Now you're a catwalk model. <laughs> I can turn can it on when I need to. Yes, yes, I can. <laughs> Apologies to all catwalk models. <laughs> Do you know what? It's a hard job. Sure. Um, it, it's not what most people... It is not that glamorous. Mm. Um, I, I, I think people underestimate um, the process and actually how difficult um, that industry and how difficult it is. Again, it's just a great lesson. We make all sorts of assumptions about what people do, but until you do their job, you have no idea they're making that look easy. Steph, you make everything sound so easy and straightforward but it's it's all about your attitude but you really are an inspiration um i'm sure i know everyone listening will be feeling it actually and and so what advice do you give to us all for our day-to-day facing our life challenges um what's the takeaway that you, you like to leave people with i think 
it's very much um, advice that I wish I could have given to myself when I was younger. And that's probably the advice that I give to everyone now. Um, when I and, and this is in the context of athletics, but I think it, it works for anything. Um, what I would say to myself is don't go into something worrying about being the best or worrying about how you compare to other people. Go in with the goal of being the best learner, of improving the most. Um, I feel like that probably was always my superpower. Um, no coach has ever looked at me and thought, oh, that is a specimen. Um, <laughs> like if you look at me, I'm not, I'm not that tall. Um, I'm not, um, I'm strong, but I'm not crazy strong. I'm not, I'm powerful, but I'm not, you know, insanely powerful. Um, you know, my dad was five foot two. Um, I ended up at five foot six, but I, I'm probably, I, I am not the most gift, physically gifted athlete you've ever met. But, and, and yeah, sometimes I would show up the first time and it wasn't something special, but I, I did the best that I could and I learned and I practiced and I showed up the next week and I've improved quite a lot. And you keep doing that week after week. And the person that started at the top, um, actually, I'm pretty close to you now. And I'm not going to give up. And I will keep nipping at your heels because, you know, I don't mind failing. I don't mind getting it wrong um, because that is is how I learn. I feel like that was always my superpower. I'm very good at learning. And I think living life that way is so much more fun than going into things worrying that you have to be perfect. Um, that actually, even though I would describe myself very much as a perfectionist, I want to work to make things as good as possible. Mm. Perfectionism in itself is very much a prison and it limits you and it's an inhibitor. And so I found if I go in with the attitude, um, yeah, I might mess up, but I will learn and I'll be the best learner. That is what always has set me up for success, maybe not immediately, but long-term success. And I would rather have a long-term win than a quick win. Well, what um, amazing advice to, to leave us with. But before we, we go, what are your future plans, Steph? Is there oh. anything you, you've yet to achieve that you'd like to try your hand at? Um, so in so in the immediate sense, um, it's been quite scary because I'm, I'm pursuing my own business at the moment. And so it kind of has three different strands. So um, the first one is motivational speaking and inspirational speaking. Uh, the second one is broadcasting. And the third one is executive coaching. And um, gosh, building a business from scratch is hard. So not just one thing, it's three things. <laughs> it is three things. But that, again, was intentional because as I've learned in the business world and as we all learn from, from COVID, things can change rapidly. And so if one thing isn't working, that's okay. I've got something else that I can kind of um, flip back and forth to. Sometimes it is worth just burning through something, but the other times the best thing is just to stop and maybe take a different direction. So I think when you have three different things on the go, it kind of gives you that flexibility to adjust to whatever is working um, at that time. And um, I've, I've given myself a year basically to explore and um, just say yes to everything and see what opens up. And, and then I'll, I'll reassess, but, um, yeah, it's been so fun. Um, just trying different things out. I've started doing triathlons as well. Of course you have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, um, it's funny. Everyone keeps trying to like, oh, you're going to go to the Paralympics for triathlon. I'm like, no, I'm really just doing this, um, for me. I mean, I'll do the best that I can with it, obviously. And I want to improve. And, um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of seeing where, 
where things go at the moment. Well, Steph, um, this has been a joy and and you are an inspiration and it's 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 my great privilege to sit here and and ask the questions and um and and I've always um thought that but this has been really extraordinary and and, and um thank you for motivating us all actually and uh hope to see you here regularly in the future. Oh, me too. <laughs> it was a great day here and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Steph, all the best. See you soon.